Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to the Great Women in Compliance on the compliance, bleh, really bad this morning. So, no. Go for it. Third time's a charm. Um, hi, you're listening to the Great Women in Compliance on Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. Today, I'm speaking with Lydia Lopez Trabalone, the Group Compliance Officer at SBM Offshore. I met Lydia earlier this year when we were on a panel together for Compliance Week. We spoke a lot about encouraging a speak-up culture, and her experience were, were so interesting and fascinating, I immediately wanted to keep in touch and interview her. We also had a lot of fun. Uh, Lydia has been instrumental in bu- building out SBM's program and has had some really interesting projects recently, particularly in India. I'm really looking forward to this interview, and Lydia, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. And uh, I am really happy to be recording with you today. And um, I really like what you are doing. And I think it's a true inspiration for women in compliance around the globe. So thank you so much. We can just Um, stop there. But let's start by talking a little bit about your background and how you started in compliance. Yeah. So, well, I'm Lydia Lopez Avalon, as you said, originally from Spain. I've been working in compliance for the past four years now. I am a qualified lawyer under the Spanish uh, bar, and I started my compliance journey actually in Sofia, capital of Bulgaria, in Eastern Europe. So I decided after law school that I wanted to have a broader international experience. So I decided to work for a financial tech located in uh, Bulgaria. So I started in business development, but few months after, I like was completely in love with uh, compliance. I like to do the right thing. And I also got a lot of energy from supporting the company, fight against like risk and uh, provide advice to the business. And that gave me a lot of energy. So I decided to go fully to, uh, to compliance. But before that, I decided to start a master's. So I relocated again. That time I relocated to Amsterdam, where I live now, um, actually, and I graduated in international international business law. And um, I was very much interested in behavior, compliance, and uh, I did my thesis in corporate governance. And then I started working also at SBM Offshore, which is uh, my company now for almost three years. Um, what I remember is like the first interview I had with one of my colleagues. We discussed about compliance, but also about behavior and influences that we have because we are humans. I worked around SBM. I felt that this was a great place for me. I felt identified with uh, our values, the ownership, entrepreneurship, integrity, and care. And just for the listeners, my company, uh, SBM, provides floating production solutions to the offshore energy. And we are worldwide, and uh, we employ around 4,350 persons. And I am part of a uh, global team. We are 15 compliance uh, professionals spread across Monaco, Amsterdam, and Brazil. These are our main locations. Um, What I enjoy a lot about my work with my team is that we are very diverse. We have many different nationalities, uh, different ages, different stages of our careers. So it's, uh, it's a truly inspiring 
uh, team to work with. And what I focus at SBM is in third-party management, so a lot of uh, due diligence, uh, compliance training also, and uh, management of our um, integrity line, which is our whistleblower line. And the past two years I worked uh, as a business compliance officer, so having responsibilities in different business lines. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the things that I enjoy the most is providing training and discussing with our employees on doing the right thing. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about your viewpoint and for this particular audience um, and something I've been focusing on lately a bit is, you know, perceptions of women in different parts of the world, you know, different points in their careers. Can you talk a little bit about your experience um, yeah. being in Amsterdam, being Spanish and yeah. right now? Yeah, so, well, the funny thing about me is that I have not worked for a very long time in Spain. I only worked for a foundation when I finished, uh, uh, just very briefly, when I finished my studies. So I worked in uh, in Bulgaria and then in Amsterdam, but I also travel a lot for work. Um, what I can, what I feel is like, of course, still women, we have to fight a lot to for our positions and to, to, to overcome a lot of challenges in our society. Um, in my case, I think I've been um, very lucky, um, to be honest. Um, I, I have felt always uh, very respected, although compliance sometimes is a little bit difficult. But I think that women in compliance, uh, we are a wonderful match for compliance. We are uh, sensitive. We have certain softer skills that help a lot in our role. Um, for the most, uh, for the longest period of my career, I've been working in the Netherlands, actually. The Netherlands is uh, a country which has a very equal um, uh, uh, culture between uh, men and women. In my company, actually, we have a lot of uh, women in top management and also management positions. So, for instance, the, the, the risk and compliance uh, director, she's a woman, uh, Marianne Bakker, and she's a true leader and very inspiring, strong woman. So, I have references of strong women at the top, so that actually makes me feel very encouraged, very empowered, and made me feel that there is nothing I cannot do. I think you have to also be aware of the, the cultures if you travel a lot, but um, yeah, you are also what you project. So uh, yeah, I, I did not have big, big challenges on that uh, regard. Well, that's great, because it also sounds like one of the things that you've had some support, particularly um, at SBM, is you know, how you get to be able to help people do the right thing every day. Um, one of the things that, you know, you do a lot of things, but you'd mentioned working on Speak Up, and particularly these days, Speak Up and whistleblower culture is really important. Um, will you talk a little bit about your Speak Up training? And also, when we were at Compliance Week, you talked about your pillars, and then you had a great slide about, you know, different components of training. Yeah, indeed. Hmm. I, yeah, I'll be happy to speak a bit about it. Uh, so when we met, of course, at the panel at uh, Compliance Week um, this year, I spoke about our compliance program. So a large our compliance program, it's based in three pillars. So compliance program and organization being the first one, second heart and soft controls, and third one, organizational culture and employee behavior. And here is when it comes into place, the, the training. So... Um, what we did last year in our face-to-face -face training is that we uh, created a, a training called From Rules to Mindset, Mindset, Training to Support You on a Speaking Up and Discussing Code of Conduct-Related Dilemmas. It's inspired in a book called uh, Why Good People Do Sometimes Bad Things 
I can really recommend. And what we wanted really, our purpose was to enable and empower employees to speak up about SVM code of conduct related topics. And if you want to start creating a speak-up culture, you have to start also by the message that you give in the training, you know. So just for inspiration to our listeners, we had a very interactive approach with dilemmas of situations that could apply in our company. So I think that's very important to make it tailored. And we also use a voting system. So with the voting system, we did it on the spot so we could test also the audience, and then you can actually adjust your training and your speech, which I think is very, very useful. Um, going more into the content, what I saw, and maybe I can share it with you or we can share it in LinkedIn, what I saw this year in the Compliance Week um, panel was a slide of um, a summary of the biases that we discussed during our speak-up training. So the reason uh, why we... Uh, so those biases is because we divided the speaking up during our training in three main phases. One being observation, second one being motivation, and the third one communication. I'm going to explain a bit about motivation because we believe that it, that's really the phase on, of speaking up that we are not aware of certain biases that are applying to us and can prevent us and employees to speak up. So the four biases that we discussed related to uh, motivation were, first of all, conformity, second one, tunnel vision, third, authority, and fourth, social status. So I'm going to explain a bit about the four biases and how we tackle them in our training. So for conformity, for example, something that we did is that we discussed about the ASH experiment. This is a very famous experiment about group conformity. So mm -hmm. this is about an individual that is put into a room with a group of, of people. So the subject of the experiment, he or she doesn't know. But the rest of the people, they are told that they have to give a wrong answer. Okay. So at the end, this is about like when we are with a group that is repeatedly saying the, a wrong answer, we end up saying a wrong answer. So this is one bias, conformity we can end up conforming to the group, sometimes without even noticing it. Then yeah. we also discuss about tunnel vision, which is, uh, we used as an experiment called the Good Samaritan. So I think listeners can find online many inspiration on that one. So it's about, you know, putting pressure and not being able to see the whole picture. Mm -hmm. Then the third bias is uh, authority or perceived authority, and this one was my favorite, I can tell you, because we saw the video of an individual who goes and buys a Halloween police officer costume in a store. And then he goes to the street and he starts giving random instructions to people, and people <laughs> obey. We tend to obey. So we're very weird random instructions, like, can you change the back from your left hand to the right? And like, Nobody would question they would do that, you know. So also here we saw, okay, authority or perceived authority has also an impact on speaking up. Yeah. Um, and then the very last one is about social status. So we also showed an experiment, you know, and, and, and supported research showing that uh, sometimes if we perceive that somebody is in a higher status of than us, then it can prevent us from, uh, from speaking up. 
So um, yeah, with these four biases and our and our training, we try to we try to provide insights on biases and raise awareness really to give our employees the choice to speak up uh, by being mindful of uh, the biases that might prevent them to do so. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really interesting because thinking about it, I mean, we also, we often spend so much time and I know you'll spend a second talking about this is what you do to, you know, communicate and implement your culture. I mean, sometimes I think it was really helpful to sort of take a step back and think about why do we do this and why do we exactly. And I mean, I I, I completely see some of these things happen, you know, in my mind too, you know, you see it culturally with, especially with the, the different sorts of you know, authority and other things. It also reminds you what the challenges are for people. So with that, what tips have you, um, you know, what you would say are some of the best practices you guys have have found or learned about in your program? Yeah, yes. Um, So for speaking up, uh, uh, to create a speak up culture, for example, I think it's important to involve or, or have the sponsorship from senior management, you know, so leaders can can discuss about how it's important to speak up. Maybe you want to roll a video, you know, that you want to show in your company premises with uh, senior management saying why they believe it's important to speak up. Maybe you want them to join you in the training during the first 10 minutes and say, this is the reason why I believe it's important to speak up, or this is why for our company it's important to speak up, share some personal experiences, because I think we do have all of us experiences where we found that speaking up is important and was valuable and even saved your company about something. So I think this is something that can be done. Also, you can maybe run a survey about compli- about speaking up, you know, a compliance survey, because it's always interesting to get the answers when people they think that is anonymous or they know that is anonymous, so they are free, you know, to 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 explain themselves and then you can understand the culture of your company because you might perceive things differently. So it's about like the day-to-day uh, work, how they perceive, you know, um, speaking up. And then organizational justice is very important, you know. I think it's very important to be transparent about things in the companies. So maybe if you have a whistleblower line, there is a lot of confidentiality that applies, but maybe you can share some things, you know, being mm-hmm. compliant and respectful, but you can share some things and then you can maybe give employees the the, the, the safety, you know, that your company does things with cases or complaints, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I'm going to change the topic a little bit because I think that one of the yeah. problems that you've been working on, which I just think is fascinating, um, and also something that I think a lot of companies are dealing with right now, is that you're working on a compliance program in a joint venture in India. Um, mm-hmm. India, I mean, is, is a very different place for you know many of us that are listening to the podcast, and um, you know it's also a growing place for many companies. Can you talk about you know the European-based approach, your approach, and you know? a bit about this endeavor. I know it's been a huge part of your time. Yeah, indeed. So thank you so much for asking me about this, actually, because this is honestly one of the most interesting projects I've had in my career. So I, I, I'm happy to, to to give some insights in what I've done um, uh, to people who is in the same situation. So um, first of all, I want to say that this project has been a success also because the business engaged with us since the very beginning. So we could prepare and it has been a smooth road in that uh, respect. 
Having said this, uh, a compliance program implementation in a developing country is never an easy exercise. Um, but if uh, I think one of the first things to consider is the culture of the place where you want to implement the compliance program. So first of all, I want to say that um, uh, you have to start with a due diligence. That's obvious for, for, for all of us. And uh, one of our board members, he always says that JVs are like marriages. So you should know who you are marrying with. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> so uh, an, an, an enhanced due diligence, it's the very best first step, but it's, it's not going to be my focus um, today. But in your due diligence exercise, you are going to do a risk assessment, right? Or maybe a compliance review. And if not, I would suggest that uh, you undertake that exercise because you need to find the answer to a very simple question. How is their compliance program, if any? So, you know, there are many things you can do. Uh, for instance, you can find out a lot in the compliance interviews with the middle management and top management, for example. But I also would recommend to maybe not only talking to top and middle management because that's something that sometimes we do. Also, if you are on site or if you can have any type of communication, email or phone call, talk to other employees, ask them, do you know about compliance? What do you think about compliance? Do you know about your code of conduct? Is there a code of conduct? You know? So I think with this, you, you can have a, a, a picture of like the real culture that is in the company or in the JV. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then, okay, then you can do an exercise of checking which policies and procedures do they have, in which language they are addressing their policies and procedures, what is the way of, of talking to the employees, you know? So basically you want to create a compliance framework of the JV to a start. That, yeah, that makes sense. Although I have to say, not sure if it's easier or harder to get divorced after you get into this marriage. So <laughs> you certainly can't yes. see other people, but <laughs> so it must be quite a, you know, an experience with, with that. I like that analogy though. Yeah. Um, but one of yeah, the things great. culturally is that in the last year, um, there's been the uh, U.S. Department of Justice guidance and the uh, UK Serious Fraud Office um, guidance about cooperation. Um, were there mm. specific cultural challenges or elements or just generally, you know, talk a little bit about that as part of mm. the program you're building? Yeah, sure. I'll explain a little bit how how um, we decided to, to do it. Uh, there is many guidance, that's for sure. We have the OECD, FCPA, SFO, ISO standards. So there, are, there out there, there is many information, which is great, but it's also a bit uh, challenging because there are a lot of things to look at. Um, so... When you assess your compliance framework, for example, I think you can go and take, take the FCPA hallmarks and also the latest guidance from the DOJ and uh, on the evaluation of the compliance program. And then you maybe can take the 10 hallmarks and try to assess them uh, with the JB. You know, so you can maybe have three levels, for instance. So, okay, exceeds expectations, meets expectations, or below expectations. And you do a little gap analysis that then you can, you know, add more information with other guidances if you, if you like, you know. Um, this is a bit of the theory, though, but because there is always a context. <laughs> so we have one guidance or two guidance, let's say, that you have to apply in, uh, let's say, Spain, United States, or India, right? 
but it's the same guidance, context is different. So, meaning that there are always cultural elements to consider in the implementation of a pro compliance program with this guidance. And for me, I believe that it's very important to be proportionate. And you also need to consider that you are subject to a continuous improvement. You can't start with a complete compliance. Maybe you can do that, but like I think it's more challenging. So you need to take it as an exercise of continuous improvement, you know? And also, you can do some little cultural checks, let's say. For instance, check the website of the company. Analyze the website of the company that you are <laughs> marrying with. You know, what, <laughs> what do they have? Do they have many pictures? Do they have many information? Do they have it in English? Do they have it in several languages? You know, so, and also discuss with the management uh, the, the, the journey that you are in, you know, with the leaders, with the management of the JV, and get context. Yeah. And um, then, of course, there are many challenges uh, because I think it's important to make sure that you don't impose. You have to respect the culture of the of the other company. Uh, you need to understand it. Uh, so where are they geographically located? What is the scope? What is the type of company? Is it a family company or not? For how long are they in the sector? Do they have one business line, several business lines, you know? So you can do also an analysis out of there and know how to tackle and how to communicate about certain things. So I think successful JV um, compliance program is the one that is also culturally respectful and employees feel included. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I think that sounds really like one of the, you know, challenges um, as well as I know there are some others and some other things about training that you, you know, yeah. talk about as well. Yeah, indeed. I mean, there is there is a lot of things that I could, uh, there are a lot of things that I could say uh, regarding, you know, challenges and so on. But uh, I think it's also interesting to discuss about the training, uh, which is a very important exercise when you are implementing a, a compliance program in a JV. Um, uh, because you you start going from rules that you are gonna to pre you are going to present them, and you want them to have the mindset. So you know you want them to end up being able to make choices and to understand the compliance culture themselves, so to have the compliance mindset. So um, for the little story, I want to say that as a as a training you trainer, you always have to be prepared you know, of little cultural nuances. So, for instance, I was discussing with a colleague this week, and um, uh, my colleague Bianca, she, she's very uh, culturally aware, let's say, and uh, we were discussing about a compliance seminar that my company organized, uh, leading responsibly in Shanghai, and it, it was for the, for the company's strategic vendors located there. And one of the things that my colleague Bianca did is that she even checked with our colleagues uh, in China, how long had the break to be, you know, like 30 minutes is what they said versus 15 because otherwise people is not going to pay attention and so on. And then she also checked things like in Chinese, the word conflict, because they were having translation, does not exist. So how are you make, how are you going <laughs> to make sure that, you know, if you want to do uh, some uh, explain something about conflict of interest, you know, how do you make sure that they are going to understand it if the if the word doesn't exist? So these are, <laughs> you know, for the little story, you know, uh, cultural nuances that, you know, I think everybody has to do a little exercise on, okay, where am I going? And 
what is happening there, you know? Yeah. And, and um, so what, how did you take those lessons over to the Indian training that you were doing? Yeah. So I spoke a lot with, uh, with uh, the management and uh, with employees, you know, so um, we focus in different topics uh, for the training. So fraud, conflict of interest, gift, bribery and corruption. You can do that also based on your uh, risk assessment or, or compliance risk assessment. So what I know is that uh, Indian culture, they want to feel very included. So I prepared a very interactive training, you know, also using voting system, videos, uh, dilemmas. So they can, you know, they feel like, okay, we can speak up here. So it's not like this person coming, telling me all the theory, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And then, okay, this is the message. And uh, here you go. So very interactive. And also we made sure to have um, real examples of uh, business cases. You know, you have to understand the scope of your JV. You know, uh, you, you, you can learn about the, about the business and then you can give practical examples so they feel engaged, you know. So you are giving, you know, situations where they could be in reality, you know. So then they are going to participate. So... I think that's uh, important. And then we also discussed a lot about the speaking up. And then you maybe want to aware them of the cultural differences, you know, because there are some cultures that are more hierarchical than others. And then, you know, or more patriarchal versus matriarchal. And that also has an impact, you know, in yeah. the way that you want to perform and, and prepare um, your, your training. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, I would like to say as a conclusion that we have many guidelines, but uh, it's important to understand the context. Um, I think uh, you need to make choices in terms of communication channels and how you position compliance, you know. Do you want the leaders to bring the message that's very effective, you know. Do you want one of the uh, persons in the management of the JV to send the message to the employees or uh, so they, they feel a bit more related? How do you work and leverage actually with other functions? For example, you know, assurance functions like internal audit, if they are going there, doing some audits, get information, get their brains, you know. Um, and I feel also it's very important consistency. Consistency, I think, is key. Repeating in a simple way a message, I think it's very important and, you know, you, you get the, your message there, out there. So we use, for example, in compliance at SBM, compliance is like safety. We are an engineering co company. So this is our, uh, like this mantra works very well for us and also for the employees. Um, and it's and interesting. I, yeah. I was just going to say to you, that actually follows up to one point that you've made about being, being a woman um, yeah. in terms of safety first, particularly with Japanese yeah. or going to other countries or developing countries. So it's, it, I mean, you have that as a theme throughout, not just yeah. with, with SBM, but with your, with, you know, your safety and your colleague yeah. safety. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think, uh, you know, um, we nowadays, uh, we travel a lot, everybody and, um, and, uh, to some countries that are not in the same mentality as the ones that we, live in, for example. Um, so I, I would like to say that for me, the most important thing as being a woman and, 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 and being working with different businesses or with TVs and so on, the most important thing is safety first. I think that's very important. But then in the, my recommendation is that in, if in your role, 
you feel that your message is not coming across because you are a woman or people is not taking you enough seriously because you are a woman, go talk to your leadership and to your managers and say, look, I'm trying to do my work here. I'm very professional. I know what I want to say. I want this business work. And why? Because I am a woman, this is not working. Talk to your leaders. It should come from the top that they, you know, back you up and they say, okay, everybody listens to this person because she's here, she's doing her job. It's the same than if it's a man, you know. So I think it's always important to have, you know, support from the leaders, from the management, and they, you know, put you in a good uh, position there. Hmm. Well, I really appreciate your time. I don't know if there's anything else you would like to share before we go. Um, no, not really. I think um, uh, I feel very lucky about all the projects that I've been involved, and I think it's amazing that nowadays we have the possibility to to implement compliance around the globe. Um, so, um, yeah, what can I say? Girl power. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> I, uh, thank you thank for you. having me. <laughs> thank you so much. And yeah, um, on behalf you. of Mary and me and the Compliance Podcast Network, uh, thank yeah. you so much, and I hope everyone has a good day. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.